Good afternoon. The time is 2 o'clock. Welcome to Vox Pop for this Wednesday, January 31st. I'm Ray Graff. Mark Lawson of Albany's Mark Lawson Antiques Jewelry and Coin joins us today to answer your questions about antiques, jewelry, and coin. If you've recently uncovered a hidden treasure, you want some help figuring out what it is, what it might be worth, give us a call. 800-348-2551 is the number. 800-348-2551. You can also email us at voxpop at wamc.org. Voxpop at wamc.org. And the number is 800-348-2551. You know, we've had several people send pictures in already. If you could try to avoid that, that would be good. Nobody else can see them but Mark and me. So after the news, we'll sort it out. Hello again. Welcome back to Vox Pop, WAMC's live afternoon call-in show. I'm Ray Graff. We're discussing antiques today, and when we do that, we welcome back our buddy Mark Lawson of Albany's Mark Lawson Antiques Jewelry and Coin. He ran a traditional antique shop, and then he opened a gallery on Broadway in Saratoga. He was approached by Sotheby's in 2000 to assist organizing and curating single-owner sales. He is a past member of the American Society of Appraisers and has completed courses in the NYU Appraisal Studies Program in period American furniture. He's also certified in diamond grading from the Gemological Institute of America. He travels throughout the region, meeting with clients, helping them settle estates and family treasures. You got a question about your family treasures? If you have any, call us, 800-348-2551. And if you have a lot of family treasures, can I borrow 20 bucks? It's 800-348-2551. You can also email voxpop at wamc.org. We've been discussing philosophy during the news breaks, but now we're getting down to business. Mark Lawson, how are you? Good, Great, Ray. It's nice to be here. Thank you so much for your enthusiastic, as always, introduction. Well, you think it was enthusiastic enough? Yeah, pretty good. I can yeah. ramp it up, man. <laughs> I just had a cup of coffee. I'm all good. Uh, what's new with you? Uh, the, we're having a big estate sale, uh, the estate of a former president of the New York State, uh, or the New York, uh, Thoroughbred, uh, Racing Museum in Saratoga Springs. Oh, uh, that's going to be February 9th, 10th, and 11th in Boston Spa. Um, I just took a nice trip to New York. I went to the Winter Antique Show, uh, down there, and I also, I took a side trip to the Museum of the New York Historical Society where I'd never been before, um, and they have on display the largest and most impressive uh, collection of Tiffany lamps uh, that there is out there, and that was that blew my mind. We that put a picture. You sent just, a picture. Oh, I sent you a picture. And I put this, it on the web page, yeah. Oh, my gosh. that What a lamp. Yeah. I mean, it was just the—I mean, I've seen a fair amount of Tiffany lamps over the years, but um, seeing— all the really, uh, all the really nice ones together in one place, and this one, it was a gourd lamp. It, uh, it was just, it was like uh, I said in the 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 palette, the colors reminded me of the Fauvists. You know, Matisse was one. You know, just really bright, beautiful, loose colors. It yeah. was Oh, it's just amazing. And I hope you don't mind. I took the text of your description because I thought it was so good, and I put it on the bottom of the picture. So cool. people cool. Thank want you. to go to our Vox Pop page for today, you can see that. Very nice piece yeah. of work. Yeah, it turns out that there was a woman, uh, Clara, oh, Driscoll maybe? No, the... I shouldn't say the name and not get it no, right. No, no, that's that <laughs> but, would not be uh, good. But there was a w- woman who actually it, 
was a woman at Tiffany's that designed all of the organic design lamps, which were which are basically all of their important ones. What do you mean organic and, design? Uh, flowers, fruit, oh, I uh, see. or you know. Uh, uh, Natural, naturalistic themed. And what else would they do? Well, there were like or... geometric ones. Oh, I and, see. Like the geometric ones, the men all did those. Yeah. And this one woman was the primary designer for all of the uh, naturalistic themed interesting. ones. Interesting. So very interesting. It was a great museum. I had a, a lovely day there. It was really, I highly recommend it to anybody. It's right across the street from the Museum of Natural History. Excellent. So, yep. it, you know, you can make, it, make a day of it. Yeah. It Although was, the it was natural awesome. history you can make a day of by itself. Certainly. Uh, well, we are joined today by Mark Lawson from Albany's Mark Lawson Antiques Jewelry and Coin. Give us a call if you feel like it. 800-3, and even if you don't, 800-348-2551 is our number. The email address is voxpop at wamc.org. The emails have been flowing in, uh, cool. Mark, with pictures attached. And so you've had a look at the pictures. Now I'll read the couple of emails that came okay. in. Uh, this is from Natalie. I have questions on two items. How do we determine the age and value of a three-arm brass, oh, more than one, three-arm brass sconces? We've been looking online but can't find anything similar. They're very heavy, no maker's mark. The family lore of being in the Ford's Theater, and we've tried to contact to no avail. So let's start with that, the sconces. You had a look at the, those pictures. They look very nice. They look very heavy. Yeah, they look like a... Uh typical pair of kind of Chippendale period design cast brass uh, three light candle sconces. Um, if the, I can't really tell from the pictures whether they're period, that is of the period made during the time that this style was first popular, which would be the late 18th century. Um, if they're of the period, while not worth as much as they were 20 years ago, they still could, you know, be worth one to two thousand dollars plus. Wowzers. Yeah, if they're of the period. Now that would be very uncommon, but I don't see anything in the picture sent to say that they're not of the period. So I would recommend, for instance, there's a. Uh, very good auctioneer down in Freehold on the edge of the Catskills, uh, Russ Carlson at Carlson Gallery. He specializes in Americana, and that would be somebody where these people could. Uh, you really uh, a specialist would need to see these in person to, I think, render a, a, a opinion that you could rely on. Now, the family lore is that these were in Ford's Theater. I think that's where Lincoln had a bad night. Yep. How, so, how would you how would you uh, confirm that well the it's always nice when you come across a, a picture an old daguerreotype with uh abraham lincoln you know sitting in his box with the sconces behind him but that's uh, uh <laughs> highly unlikely yeah. the um some sort of written documentation would be the the conventional way to confirm it like either uh a clear description that's come down through the years, some some uh, photographic evidence, uh, some old histories that describe that. But that's a different, okay. you know, if the historical value, if something like that is true, uh, uh, would be much more than just the, the value of the, the pieces as uh you know, their antique value. Right. But again, something like it's so it's very human beings uh, like to tell good stories, right? And the the sometimes in the heat of the moment, you know the 
Are you Those calling Natalie like, a fabricator? No, no, but you could, you could, you know, there could have been a similar pair in Ford's Theater, and you know, yeah. on on Enos talked to somebody who said, oh, there was a set just like that. Yeah. At the, you know, so who knows? You know, the, uh, you know, Washington slept in far many more places than he would have possibly been able to sleep in. Well, he got around. Well, you. That's certainly true also. All right. This is, and then the second part is the Andirons. Note from great aunt Eunice, born in the 1890s, that the Andirons were brought over to New Rochelle by the Huguenots. They're not dated. They don't have a maker's mark. One has a bit shinier finish than the others. Uh, please see the attached pictures, which he has done, Natalie. So what do you think of those? Yeah, those are nice. They're uh, probably of a period of a style that would be associated with the Queen Anne period, the early to mid-18th century. The Huguenots were probably, uh, a, you know, 50 to 100 years prior to that. And, but more more importantly, this is a style of and iron that was very popular around the turn of the last century. So there were... I'm sure thousands of these made in this style. Again, a firsthand uh, examination is going to be necessary to make any kind of uh, opinion okay. about it. But that being said, it's unlikely that the Huguenots brought them over. All right, fair enough. This is from Bill. I have a Seth Thomas wall clock that has been in my family for at least six decades. It was given to me by my mother. No, it was given to my, yeah, that's it. Yep. It was given to my mother by a clockmaker repair shop owner in Pennsylvania Dutch country, uh, Mr. Shoemaker, if I remember correctly. I've been told that if Seth Thomas lunar style with a Jupiter dial, kind of a mishmash. We heard some document, we says we had some document had I think some documentation when I was a kid that there were three of them made by Seth Thomas and this was factory made how can I better research this I've seen full collector publications that do not include this clock yeah uh, Google's your friend the problem with uh objects like this that are less popular than they used to be there's less kind of uh, public interest driving the 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 posting of information and all, all that sort of stuff on them I'm sure you know Google's your friend I'm sure there's still things to be found out on Google you can search auction records uh, <coughs> auction uh, prices but in terms of value I don't know. Is Seth Thomas still even in business? If they were, you could contact the company, and that might be fruitful. Oh, I think they will. They have. They have been, but they were probably purchased long ago by some uh, foreign concern. I would. Imagine. Uh, that could. But be. I don't know about that. For yeah. Sure. Neither do I. Uh, in terms of valuation, this is a uh, modern commercial copy of a type of antique clock that was very, very popular in the first half of the 20th century. And nobody cares much about them anymore. I mean, clocks that used to be worth, like period clocks that used to be worth eight or 10 or $12,000 plus, it's hard to sell for more than one or $2,000 today. And that's the really fine ones. The more common ones are uh, don't bring a lot of money anymore. So the, the, the value is going to, it's going to be a labor of love in terms of finding out family history, it's unlikely to be a journey that's going to uh, result in some big payday. Okay. Uh, we only have about 30 seconds before the break, but okay. another clock question. This is a grandfather clock question from Roberta. 
My husband inherited a Simon Willard grandfather clock that's been passed down through his family since the early 1800s or before. Factory sheet is still inside the clock and has inscriptions from people who worked on it dating back to that time. If none of his kids want to take it on when that time comes, what would you suggest he do? And what is a clock like this valued at? It still keeps perfect time. It's one of the simpler models. And very quickly, that is from Roberta and Gardner. Simon Willard, those are the best of the best. There's not, uh, arguably, there's not a more popular or sought after period American antique timepiece. So that would be something that would bring good money at auction. Russ Carlson would be a good place to start. If she wanted to email me for more information, happy okay. to help. And uh, uh, that's a good one. Do you want to give your email out or shall uh, I just have people? Email the show and I'll forward uh, over to you. Up to you. Whatever you like. Mark Lawson Antiques at gmail.com is the the email address. All right, 10 4. Let's take a break. 800 348 2551 is the number. We are only just underway. It's Antiques with Mark Lawson. We'll hit the phones in a moment. Pop, Ray Graff here. It's uh, Antiques Today, and we're joined by Mark Lawson of Albany's Mark Lawson Antiques Jewelry and Coin. The number is 800-348-2551. If you have a question, we'll begin in Pittsfield. Robert, you're on. Hi there. Can you oh, hear me? Yep, yes. go ahead. Hey, I got um, a, a series of paintings by Arthur Sanger. And they're very beautiful. They're pictures of birds and, and of of states and uh, of flowers. They got a California poppy on this one, and a uh, ruffled grouse, Pennsylvania grouse. And I and, and I don't know anything about this author, Arthur Sanger. Yeah, I'm not familiar with an artist uh, by that name. There are some like there's a. I, if I look online, there's like an Australian footballer. There's, um, do you know anything? How did, how did you come by the pictures? Well, my aunt has bequested them to me uh, back a few few years ago, and, and I have six of them, and it says a number three of series of paintings by Arthur Sanger, and they have the paintings and everything. And and his his um, signature is on every one of them, mm-hmm. and they're 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 just spectacular mm-hmm. pictures of. Uh... So the what's gonna there with a work of art? There's a couple of different things that can cause them to have value or interest in the marketplace. One would would be obviously the the quality of the artwork itself. Is it something that reaches out and grabs people that would look beautiful hanging on a wall? The other thing, and then is it the, the who's the maker? Who, who created this work of art? Are they somebody that's followed, somebody that's famous, somebody that's generally sought after in the marketplace? In this case, I can't find anything on a first pass about an artist named Robert Sanger. Um, no, so- Arthur. Arthur. Arthur Sanger. Yeah, Arthur Sanger. Okay. 
Yeah, yes. he, he looked it up. Yep, I, I got it. So I can't find anything. Um, if you wanted to send some pictures, I, some images of the pictures, I'd be happy to take a look. But you said something like three of a series, which m- makes me wonder if they aren't some sort of uh, uh, mass produced, you know, high quality print of some sort. So, mm-hmm. so I really, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. And I couldn't I tell you that with, again. Yeah, without seeing a picture. But uh, if you want to send some uh, images to me, I'd be happy to take a look. Okay. okay. And once again, that email address? MarkLawsonAntiques at gmail.com. There you go. And let's go to Donna in Delmar. Hello, Donna in Delmar. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Um, hey, I have a question about a piece of furniture that I rescued from a dumpster around the corner. And mm-hmm. I have been <laughs> – it's a beautiful um, – Sort of low to the ground, what I think is called a fainting chair. Mm-hmm. It's a cream-colored brocade. Um, it's it's done, you know, like the the, the seams are done with rivets. Uh, it's a it's in gorgeous shape, nice. but it only had three casters. Um, and okay. I tried to get the fourth caster, but I was told by the fellow who sort of you know spiffed up the legs for me that you can't get them anymore. So he he you know repaired a very tiny crack in one of the wooden legs, and then he pulled the rest of the casters off. Um, and I don't know about this thing. I don't know when it's from. I get conflicting things online. How much is it worth? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. Uh, sometimes they, they were called fainting couches. The other, the the proper uh, name for them sometimes is recamier, R-E-C-A-M-I-E-R. Uh, a French word, which probably is French for a fainting couch or something like that. But uh, so that would be another word that you could search on. Yeah, to get some. Okay, uh, it's to... a chair. It's it's not a fainting couch. It's a fainting chair. It's only one chair, and it's only got one arm. That's the one thing I like. One arm. It's only got one. A one yeah, arm fainting chair. chair. Boy, there's got to be a hilarious joke there. By the way, as an aside, Donna, while Mark uh, looks Recovers. into this. On our screen, you know, we have a brief uh, description of the call and, and what the caller is mm-hmm. talking about. It says spanking chair, which oh. I thought was like that, 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 that conjured up oh, images. No. And I, I thought, wow, what has Donna got there? But it's a fainting <laughs> chair, which is almost as weird, frankly. So the, Absolutely. I, I've seen. Tell me, what's that word again? Recon, what? Recamier, but that's for the the couch, not the chair. Recamier, R-E-C-A-M-I-E-R. But I've seen chairs as you're describing, kind of like a, not I I don't even want to say a mini fainting couch, but I know what you mean. There were lots of so during the the mid to late Victorian times, 1870s, Mm -hmm. 1880s, there were uh, there was a a movement movement called the Orientalist movement, and it was it was part and parcel of a the discovery and the the exploration and popular interest in the Far East, the Orient. And you had artists like, uh, uh, oh, what? I can't remember his name off the, but the, you had artists that would travel through India, for instance, painting different scenes. You mm. had all of the, you know, uh, Robert Louis Stevenson and Augustus St. Gaudens and uh, all, all those guys, those artists that hung out together around a th- 
turn of the century fascinated with the Orient and and uh, creating interiors uh, mm-hmm. with hung with lots of Oriental rugs and Moorish objects. And this is a type of furniture that I think that comes out of that uh, kind of that tradition where the, you know, you'd have a a Middle Eastern room that, you know, was mostly had pillows and, you know, you sat on the floor and you, you know, reclined and kind of laid back. And there was the, what was the, it wasn't J.P. Morgan's house, but there were some uh, very elaborate mansions in Fifth Avenue, on Fifth Avenue that Tiffany did also in that uh-huh. same style, very opulent, uh, 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 themed with, uh, Middle Eastern decorative arts. So I think it comes from that period. The There were companies like Herder Brothers that made, you know, exquisite examples of this sort of thing. Uh, but there were also, anytime there's popular things like this, you'd get lots of, you know, commercial uh, versions that were made. So it sounds like a nice chair from this period of the late 19th okay. century. And uh, uh, I'm glad you saved it from the dumpster. Donna, thanks for the call. Just as an aside, how much do you think the spanking chair would be worth? <laughs> All right, let's go to Mark. Mark, where are you calling from? Hello, Mark. Yeah, I'm calling from... Hello. 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 Did you have me? Yeah, go ahead. Where are you calling hello? from? Yeah, hello. Uh, I'm calling from uh, Moncton, Vermont. Ah, well, welcome to the program. Go ahead. Thank you. Yeah, so I picked up this fiddle case uh, about 40 years ago from this old guy that dealt with antiques. But uh, he opened this thing up, and there's no fiddle in it, but there's a diary. And the person who uh, had it uh, played for Captain McDonough at his victory party. You know, this is the War of 1812. And so on the back of this, it starts with... uh, Thank God we, we beat the fl- the fleet, and he spells beat, B-E-E-T. Uh, and then he's got uh, played for Captain McDonough tonight, you know, September, I think it was like the 14th, uh, 1814. And then it goes on uh, with his father passing, and then it, his brother going into the Civil War and uh, – and we also, with this case, uh, I had another friend, she, she kind of looked at it, and she took a, a piece of paper and put it on a certain area and just kind of went over it with the pencil and came up with a date of 1761 on the case. Huh. Okay. Nice. Okay. So I love the the diary, <laughs> an, an original diary that's uh, describing historical times around, you know, the War of 1812 and uh, the early 19th century in America, that's going to, one, be of some, potentially of some historical interest. Yeah. You don't know if it's real, do you? Well, who's going to fake it? Well, somebody who wanted to sell a case to an antique dealer. That's why. Well, okay. That's a, maybe, maybe. You you could be right, Ray. It, It also 
could be real, and if it is real, it's going to have some historical yeah. interest and uh, uh, and thus also some market value. People collect these types of things, and uh, a uh, there's a local guy, Dennis Holtzman at Dennis Holtzman Antiques. He specializes in historical uh, memorabilia, prints, books, this sort of autographs, this sort of thing. So he would be somebody nearby that you could take it to and get an opinion of. There's also a uh, an excellent auction specialty auction gallery in New York City, Swan Galleries, okay. S-W-A-N-N. And that would be a place, if I wanted to sell something like this that had some potential importance and value, that's where I would take it. Well, let me ask you this question. Mark, I'll ask this one on your behalf. If Mark wanted to do some research on this diary and potentially find out you know, if it was real and everything else, where, where's a good place to start without going to New York City? I mean, oh, just send, take a take a, a picture with your phone of the first couple of pages, trying to keep your phone still, not jiggling it too often, uh, too much, and send it to me. And I can, you know, no, anybody you... qualify, anybody with experience can take a look and say, oh, that looks like it could be okay. right. You know, that would be easy. All right. Hey, Mark, thanks a lot. Good luck with that. 800-348-2551 if you have a question for Mark Lawson from Mark Lawson Antiques Jewelry and Coin in Albany. And, uh, you know, we have a ton of emails, but we will do them, some of them, after the break. Let's go to Newburgh now. Todd, you're on. Hey, Todd. Hi. Hello. Uh, so I have a... Oh, boy. He waited on hold for a while, and then the signal faded. Uh, try it again, Todd. Todd is... You there, Todd? I think you're breaking Call up. Call us again, Todd, and we'll get you back on. Zach, the engineer, is uh, giving us the side eye, so we better move on. Okay. Uh, there it is. <laughs> Stop that. You're making me nervous, Zach. This email came in from Kathy. I okay. found a ring in my raised bed while gardening. It has five stones. The metal band looks rusty. And here's... I'll show you a pic. Any tips for cleaning the brown crust off the metal? If it's rusty, it's not a precious metal, though, right? No, well, it uh, it looks like uh, not too uh, almost vintage piece of costume jewelry that somebody lost. Um, with something like that, the probably just a regular silver polish, you know, uh, used very. Uh, what if it's iron though? Will that will that hurt the iron? No, no, no. Well, if it's iron, the it won't have enough value to hurting it mattering. But well, would the, the silver get crusty? I mean, s silver will get black. No, but I'm saying a, a silver polish, which is basically an, a, a mild abrasive mm -hmm. cleaner, yeah. will will start to take some of that uh, stuff off and start to clean it up, and that would be a good place to start. It doesn't look like it's something that's uh, significantly valuable. You're not going to hurt anything by doing that, and if she just wants something to, to clean it up a little bit that'll take some of that, that crud off, uh, a decent silver polish is a great place to start. But some of this costume jewelry, though, comes from Eastern Europe from back in the day, and some of it ha has some value on its own, yeah? This one, I would say, is not older than the eight, 1980s or 90s. Oh, okay, so, so it's, it's relatively fairly new. modern, yeah. yeah. All right, let's go back to the phones, and Dan is in Schenectady. Dan, you're on. Hi. Um, I discovered that I have a, um, it says, in, engraved and painted, and says by Geo. Um, S. Perrin and H. B. Hall, and it's of General Ulysses, U.S. 
um, the general U.S. Grant, and it's got a signature. It looks like a signature of U.S. Grant on it, and it yep. also says on it from the Southern District. Um, where is it? Where Trump had his this Southern District of New York, the um, the clerk's office. So I had some people in the family long ago that were in the state government, even going back to the original New York State Government the Committee of Safety. Some new clerks. My grandmother's a new clerk, and um, this ended up. Um, I just I said that looks like a signature, and then I got really interested in it. But I want to know how, where to go from here to try and see if I really have a um, okay signature of, what, of yeah. What size is it? It's like a picture that would be in a wall, like maybe um, um, like the top of a refrigerator, old style refrigerator, the freezer. It's a little bit smaller, so I don't know the dimensions, but probably a foot by maybe a foot and. Okay, yeah. Something like that. So, it's, it's, you know, regular average. Go ahead. So uh, Ulysses S. Grant was a, a popular military and political figure. He was the president in the United States. So this sounds like a 19th century engraving or print of them. I've. Uh, it's unlikely that the signature is real. Uh, there were tens of thousands of prints of Ulysses S. Grant that were printed both in books and out of books with a facsimile signature included as part of the print. Ah. So it, it's probably just a, a part, uh, it's probably just a printed signature that's part of the, the printing. Unlikely that it's an actual autograph of Ulysses S. Grant. If it is... It- the if, mm-hmm. it, if it, it would is. it would most likely be in a different color and the 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 color and nature of the signature would be distinctly different it is. than it's the rest different. of that's it. What, that's what I have a whole bunch of paintings up to, in the attic and I it caught my attention. I said that's like a signature. What is that? And I didn't even sure. really. So it is different. I don't know too much about it. I'm not, pardon me. Different color. Different. Uh, Style and everything, yep. size and everything else. Yeah, know. so I'd be ha- if you want to send us an image, I'd be happy to take a look and and give you an idea and uh, steer you in the right direction. Another guy, again locally, I uh, uh, recommend people uh, to him a lot is uh, Dennis Holtzman at Dennis Holtzman Antiques. He'll be able to tell you uh, immediately as well. And I want to be clear and thanks for the call, Dan. That you're not looking for work. This is something you do as just on this show and you're helping people you're not this is not, i'm not drumming up business Yeah, you're no. not allowed to and no. you're, you're not doing that you, no no you've no you've done this for no. a long time on this program so yeah, Dan, i like it i do i do this because it's fun I yeah mean, but i do i i worked i did the work i did because it was fun it's right. like it's fun is the radio part fun well, the the except for the 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 guys I have to work with yeah, sometimes. Exactly. You know what? Dicey, Let's leave it you know? there. Eight hundred three four eight two five five one. We're joined by Mark Lawson. It's Antiques today on the program. The email address is voxpop at wmc.org. We'll break open the email bag in a moment. Fox Pop on WAMC. Ray Graff with you. It's Mark Lawson, Antiques Today. And, uh, okay. <laughs> so I, at the beginning of the show, I said, you know, please don't send photos. No one on the radio listening can can see them. Uh, Reverse psychology. I hey, think, right? you know what? You're right. And so our, <laughs> our friend Nick, who writes in, says, I'm presently 
cleaning out someone's house. The lady had lofty taste, and my friend thinks these are valuable. I'm not so convinced. The statue is metal, heavy, and adorable. The chandelier is allegedly crystal but ugly. Here, scroll through these real quickly while I uh, whistle a tune. Okay, the... Uh, lofty. I like lofty. Yeah, yeah. Well, Nick is uh, sometimes fuzzy, but uh, occasionally. Yeah, so nice uh, decorative stuff of a style that's not really popular There's anymore. There's a kind of corroded little uh, probably uh, spelter, lead-tin alloy statue of a cherub. There's a, you know, when I, when we bought our house in Saratoga yeah. in 1998, there was a, a, a fixture like that hanging in okay. the dining room. Yeah. There was one just like that. So um, probably 40s or 50s vintage in a kind of like Empire French style. Mid-period uh, Sears decorative, Roebuck. Decorative and something that's just not popular anymore. So right. um, a lot of times, you know, People move into houses or go or cleaning out houses that are full of things. The things that got left behind are sometimes things that nobody has any interest in anymore. Right. So the the I'm not saying that you can't find wonderful and amazing things. People find wonderful and amazing things yeah. all the time. But a lot of times the stuff that's been abandoned and left behind has been abandoned and left behind <laughs> because for a reason. That all is right. nobody wants it. This is from Jim in Lanesboro, Bennington Stonewall. We collected Bennington stoneware, crocks, jugs in the 90s, and have about 20 various sized mm -hmm. and shaped examples from almost every variation of ownership. Bennington, Norton, E. Norton, E. and L. P. Norton, etc., with cobalt or ochre decorations, birds and flowers. What is today's market for this stoneware? How or where should I look to sell them? Um, I'd say the, the market's good but modest. So the... Um, a lot of people have Bennington pottery. It's uh, it was very good quality. Um, some very good designs. When we do estate sales, the uh, it's always a popular seller. But you know, for ten, twenty, and thirty dollars a piece. Okay. I mean, the the so so saleable and it has value, but not something that is worth a fortune. The um, of course, there's. And old Bennington part pottery, they made, uh, you know, uh, stoneware and Parian porcelain and, and lovely things back in the early 19th century, mm -hmm. which can have some, you know, good collectible value. But the modern mass produced, nice quality stuff, we sell all the time at estate sales okay. and the Facebook marketplace you can look on ebay you know uh uh places like that would be a good good place to start here's another email that has pictures yeah, this is from chuck uh what can you tell me about this pair of mid-century lamps and their value these are cool lamps uh they look brass and circular and uh, you have a look at those and again thanks to everyone who writes in oh those in are pictures. really nice yeah aren't they nice yeah i don't know the um Yeah, I can take. Uh, well, again, if he wants to to send me a picture by email, I'll look him up for him. I can't tell you. Oh, you know what? Here, the, what? I got an idea. You're gonna take Hold a picture of the picture. Me. You know what? This could probably be done after the show. But here you go. Take a picture of the picture. This is Adventures in Radio. Eight hundred three four eight two five five one is the number. And again, you know, if you can avoid sending pictures. Um, 
Somebody writes in about Arthur Sanger. I believe your previous caller was referring to The Common Prince of Birds and Flowers by Arthur Singer. And that's uh-huh. from Aaron in Livingston. Thank you. That might make sense. Yes, uh, especially since he said, oh, yeah, they probably are uh, Prince when yeah. he said one of a series, whatever. Sure. So thank you very much, caller. Okay, and uh, this is from Bob in Albany. I acquired a bunch of coins from a deceased parent and a mm-hmm. sibling, and I want to sell them and split the proceeds. Most, like two dozen, are proof sets with a few uncirculated sets. American coins from the 70s and 80s. There are also some Canadian proof sets. One 1986 Australian, one 1983 UK proof set. How can I best determine the value of these? Well, the, you can go online and try and research it yourself. There's as much good information as bad. Generally, the, the mint and proof sets from the 70s and 80s were mass-produced by the, uh, the U.S. government for coin collectors. They have no precious metal content in them usually, and there's many, many more of them available okay. there, than there's any demand. So most of those will only be worth a very little bit above the face value right. in many cases. And for American coins, the Red Book is a great resource, and uh, you can pretty much find anything you want American. I don't know what about um, some of the foreign coins, but I'm sure there was a similar resource. All right, last email for now, and then back to the phones with Mark Lawson. This is from Rob. I have a box of sales presentation materials from the Arabico Oil Company dated 1969. Beads, flags, pamphlets about history, etc. Original stamped box, all brand new, untouched from a clean-out. Not even sure why someone in Massachusetts would have it. No pictures. Is Thank you, Rob. Is this an item that is collectible or dangerous? And it's Arabico? Arabico Oil Company, dated 1969, beads, flags. It's a sales presentation, a box of sales presentation materials. In my experience, if it's not related to like a really company that has some popular collecting dimension or historic dimension or cultural dimension, like, you know, Coca-Cola or McDonald's or something like that, it'll be interesting but not valuable. If you sell something like that on a place like eBay or put it up on some sort of online auction, there's always a chance that some oil executive collector Uh, guy might come across it and say, oh, that's really cool. I'd like to get it. But it's a little bit like searching for a needle in a haystack. Finding the buyer. Yeah, yeah. It's tricky. It's tricky. Although I'm always fascinated. I've been fascinated in the past by things like that that I've come across. It's just in my experience, I haven't had much luck selling them. But of course, you'll be amazed at what people will buy if you go to uh, one of the auction sites. There's always some one person. Oh, yeah, I collect uh, rusty bottle caps or whatever. All right, let's go back to the phones. And I believe Todd and Newberg has now established a better connection. Todd and Newberg, you're back on. Go ahead. Hey, Todd. Hi, I'm here. Cool. Uh, so I have a print of uh, Judy Garland. It's a photograph taken by David Avedon. Uh, it's not signed, but David, it was not Richard? Uh, received. Sorry, Richard Avedon. There Thank you go. You. Thank you. Uh, the Richard Avedon photo uh, is. The the produ- the producer of the record, I think it was the wit and wonder of Judy Garland, who worked with Richard Avedon to get this photo done, is who we inherited it from his estate. Nice. Uh, so there's some validity there, but I don't know if it's worth trying to get it any uh, appraised or anything. What's going to be important is if on the back somewhere there's a stamp 
that says, you know, copyright Richard Avedon or from the studio of Richard Avedon or something like this. It, these types of photographs are uh, like that was a popular one and it was reprinted in you know reasonable uh, reasonably large quantity so the the ones that are kind of like original exposures that came from Richard Avedon's studio you know those could be worth you know a thousand dollars or more the reprints you know you're down in the 25 to 50 dollar range Todd thank you you're thank welcome you appreciate the call too uh let's go to Pittsfield and Bobby you're on Hi. Hey, Bobby. I got an antique bottle. It says Burnett cocaine on it, Boston. Antique. What's it something like that worth? Antique cocaine bottle. Is it? Uh, is the coke the writing on a paper label or in raised embossing on the bottle? Raised embossing on the bottle. Yeah, the my I'm not familiar with that bottle. If it's original and and right, it's going to have some collectible value. But that's also going to be exactly the kind of thing that if you know there was a period where lots of in the '60s, '70s, and '80s where lots of antique and collectible bottles were reproduced inexpensively, and something with the the cocaine on it is going to be one of the things that is more likely to have been reproduced. So I can't really say without looking at your bottle. I think it potent I'm not familiar with that bottle. If it's original, uh -huh. if it's an original, you know, cocaine bottle with uh, which is going to be relatively uncommon, it's going to have some collectible value, you know, which uh, we could certainly look up and research if you want to send us an image. But the my gut feeling right off the bat is that's typical of the types of things that were reproduced. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it Did looks you... antique. I mean, you know, it looks it, but we'll we'll find out. Thank you. You're hey, welcome. Bobby, thanks a lot. Uh, wow, so w at what point in our history were people all hopped up on commercially made cocaine? Was it 1909, 1907, the, the, the patent medicine era from, oh, the – Probably the Civil War up till they passed a law outlawing it all, where they would make up bottles of you know cocaine, opium, heroin, what? and and cure cure any ailment. Really? Step right up. Yes. Feel don't feel good? Here, take some of this. Uh, that's weird. All yeah. right, let's go to Pine Bush. Michelle, you're on. Hey, Hi. Michelle. Hi, Michelle. Hello. Hello, you're on. Hello. Hi. Um. My husband inherited a painting done by uh, Eric Sloan. Cool. Um, who is known, Eric Sloan? Yes. Who is known for, you know, his landscapes and barn pictures. But he was a friend of my husband's great-grandparents. Nice. Who were aviators. And he also flew small aircraft. So he painted them a picture of one of their aircraft. Nice. Um, it's called... Um, the Clemson ship, and hmm. uh, their last name is Clemson, and they were well known in Middletown, New York. Um, the Clemson brothers. Mm -hmm. um, if you Google that, you, you'll be able to see the history. So I was just wondering: is is that of any value, or is it just you know an item that's personal? Is it an oil painting on canvas? Is it a watercolor? Is it under? Yes, black? an oil painting on canvas okay, and cool. signed. And about how large is it? 
Uh, it's probably uh, 18 by 24, framed in a in a a white whitish uh, wooden frame. Nice. It sounds like lovely. Just, you know. And uh, does it have the the family members in it, like standing next to the plane, or is no. it like the no? What's the no, subject? No, it's a it's a it's a plane in flight. Um, lovely at night. Wow. So that sounds really nice. Uh, I think just conventional good pictures by him are going to be, you know, at least in the two to four or three to five thousand dollar range, depending. And this sounds really unusual and different. Sometimes with well-known artists, anything that doesn't like fall into like the the kind of normal popular milieu is frowned on by the marketplace but it can also cut the other way where really unusual and exceptional examples um can be worth worth more than what his works uh usually go for in this case i like the historic angle and he did this for friends of his and they were flyers and the it sounds really nice so so i think you're certainly in the you know two to four or three to five thousand range but i think it's something that could uh, uh, possibly sell for more. What I would say the best thing to do, though, is make sure you you write up and even have your your husband, uh, uh, if he's the only one left alive of that family, to write up a little history of the background of it, and you know, uh, attach it in an envelope on the back of the huh. on the back of the frame or something. So there's a nice history that goes along with it. And uh, but what a lovely thing! It sounds well, really nice. From what I understand, the from what I understand, the Clemson brothers, um, they invented the hacksaw and saw blades. Okay, there um, we go. Well, that's so, great. Um, okay. Well, so is there anyone in particular I could contact, you know, send a picture? Yeah, oh, s- send me a picture, and I'll uh, I'll take a look, and I'll steer you in the right direction. Well, Michelle, thanks a lot for the call. Uh, this email from Mark. I am lucky enough to own a banister back chair with Prince William Crest from 1710-ish, Boston, it is pictured in American seating furniture by Ben O'Foreman. Yale University has its twin. Would you recommend a Boston area auction house and could it reach $10,000 at auction? Uh, the most well known, uh, the most prominent and kind of established Boston auction house is Skinner. Um, and they're very good. Uh, any business I've ever uh, done with them has been. Uh, professional and and well done uh could it bring ten thousand plus i you know i don't know uh maybe maybe not it's hard to know there's a lot of uh the most important thing is to is to if it's what exactly what it appears to be and if it's all original and stuff and you have provenance and all that can be uh, uh, confirmed and established, then it that will give it the best chance of selling for the most. What's that going to be today? I'm not sure. You know, I think your instinct is to look for a Boston auctioneer is probably a good one. But there's much generally there's less interest today in uh, uh, Americana, period American antiques. Um, even from early 1700s? Even from the early 1700s because yeah. the, the, the people that were that those types of antiques were most popular with, they're mostly gone now. And like when I was at the Winter Antique Show where 
10 or 15 years ago, there were 10 or 15 booths full of period Americana. This time, <laughs> there's maybe three or four. Okay. And yeah, so so it's, the marketplace has changed. Yeah, I got to say, I know you move in different circles than I do, but <laughs> it blows my mind that anyone would, would pay 10 grand for a chair. I mean, it would have to be one hell of a chair. There are some there are chairs that are worth more than that. I, I sold a chair year before last for seventeen thousand. Little side chair. Do they do they Just sit in it? Chair. What do they do with it? Well, it's so it's really it's more a, a work of art. You know, uh, it, it's an object. It has history and and import on. You know, it's important to people for everything but something to sit in. Yeah. Now, a comfortable couch, that's priceless. <laughs> well, right, very go. quickly, uh, Andrew says, is there a market for vintage doctor's examination room furniture? The examination table and medical cabinets are likely 1930s, 1940s from my grandfather's private practice. Glass cabinets are beautiful. The set is in very good condition. We have other vintage medical gadgets, too. Is there any market for that? And that's from Andrew. Yeah, there absolutely is. They're very popular. The A lot of the that type of furniture was uh, made with baked on enamel. And there was a, a for uh, one of the treatments that gets done to it before it's offered for sale is they, uh, they, they grind off all the enamel down to the steel underneath and make nice little uh, circular patterns in the steel with the grinding wheel and ah. stuff. So um, it can fit in a kind of a more modern, mid-century kind of uh, look decor. So, yes, definitely uh, something that has some value and uh, uh, could be sold. All right, Mark Lawson, This we've had a varied uh, selection of All over questions. The place. Yeah, man. What so the heck? we'll see you next time. Thanks for being here. Support comes from Glen Eddy in Niskayuna for active independent seniors on the terrace at Glen Eddy for seniors who need a little extra assistance. Part of Eddy's Senior Living, eddyseniorliving.com. The Linda, WAMC's performing arts studio, presenting live and local at the Linda, featuring E-Block, New American Cuisine, and Barbie Barker. February 2nd, tickets and information at thelinda.org. And Empire exhibits and displays, producing customized product displays at museum environments for over 60 years. Empire provides in-house design, production, and and project management, crafting exhibits from start to finish. EmpireExhibits.com. Once again, thanks to Mark Lawson for being here today. Thank you for listening. Thanks for the calls. Thanks for the emails. So many emails and calls we didn't get to. My apologies. We do the best we can. Mark will be back again soon. Thanks to Zach Malloy, our engineer. Thanks to Andrea Leon for answering the calls. I'm Ray Graff. Tomorrow, it's our first gardening show of 2024. See you, too.